We have a special speaker with us this morning. Uh, Lucas and Teresa Baer are missionaries to Brazil. And Lucas was on staff here at Sailorville for about eight years, and I actually got to work with Lucas for probably five or six of those years, and then God called them to Brazil to serve there, which they've been serving there for about eight years now, so they're back and uh, checking in with their churches and stuff, so we're glad to have Lucas and Teresa here and around, and Lucas has been a really good friend, and Teresa's been a really good friend. We've had lots of good memories. He's challenged me. He's loved me. He's rebuked me. And uh, I'm looking forward to hearing from Lucas this morning. So let's give him a Sailorville welcome as he comes and shares. Thanks so much, Abe. Uh, it is really good to be here this morning. It is an honor and privilege to be able to open up God's Word and to have some moments here to talk. Um, I just want to jump right in, though, because our time is limited. Um, Abe, I, I appreciate the introduction, but I want to do a little bit of a different introduction of myself. Um, and it goes a little bit like this. Um, good morning. <laughs> My name is Lucas Bear, and I am a follower of Jesus, a follower of Jesus who struggles every day and battles every day against impure thoughts, pornography, dishonesty, procrastination, laziness, pride, gluttony, selfishness, materialism, low self-esteem, impatience, fear of what might happen and the fear of what people think of me, bouts of tremendous anxiety and depression, just to name a few things. I like to introduce myself that way because the past years God has been teaching me me some things very important, the, the, the importance of transparency and openness and confession of our sins. Sin lives and thrives in secrecy. When we allow sin to, to be covered up and hidden in our hearts, it festers and it grows and it influences and it becomes our master. And a powerful tool to combat our sin is to confess it, to take it out of the darkness, to take it out of hiding, to, 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 to bring it out in the public in a sense, to sit down with somebody and open up. That's, that's not always easy to do, is it? Because we... I am fearful of what people will think of me. I'm fearful that people will judge me. And judging people and being judgmental, let's be honest, is, comes very naturally to us. We learn it as children. I mean, think about it. You go back to the playground that you grew up on. The playground was brutal, right? Holy Toledo. The kids are just ruthless. They just nitpick and they put down and they, because, because there is in us naturally from the day one this desire to be better than someone else, to be noticed, to elevate ourselves. And oftentimes we do it as children. What we do is we elevate ourselves by putting down others and judging them and being judgmental. But the reality is little kids grow up into adults, us, and that, doesn't, that tendency, that desire to judgmental doesn't really go away. We just get better at it. We're a little more subtle, right? Instead of blurting it out on the playground, we will think it. We'll think things like, I can't believe they did that. I would never do that. 
When we say those things, that's a judgmental thought. What we're saying is, I am so morally better, superior than that, than that person, that if I was in the same situation, I would choose the right thing. You're being very judgmental. And we have those thoughts, and, or, or we whisper those thoughts, those things to our friends. You know, we'll lean over and we'll say things like, can you believe they did that? We'll whisper that. We won't blurt it out on the playground, but we'll, we'll whisper it to our friend. And those, in that moment, we're being very judgmental. It's a judgmental spirit that we're harboring and allowing to fester. And also, there's, there's the, the third way. That, well, we do it a lot of different ways, but a third way is the new playground for the adults, which is social media. Have you had a chance to look at what's going on in social media? It's brutal, right? Brutal. I mean, people have done some terrible things, but, but if you slip up, I don't want to say people's sins are slip-ups, but what I'm saying is that if you, if you blow it, you're done. You are toast on social media. There is no grace, no mercy, no compassion, and no chance of restoration. They attack, and there's tremendous, intense judgmentalism that takes place. The moral superiority that we see blurted out on social media. It's not them... It's us. It's all of us. It's the new playground. It's not that social media has created judgmentalism. It's just that it's allowed our hearts to do what it naturally wants to do, be judgmental. Judging people is a part, unfortunately, but this is the reality. It's a part of the fabric of our society. It's the fabric. It makes up part of the fabric of what it is to be human, of our humanity. And even though it, it comes to us naturally and it's a part of the fabric of our society, it cannot be a part of our church. It cannot be a part of our relationships. The church, our church, Sailorville Church, must be a place of mercy, grace, compassion, and a place of restoration. I'm thankful that, that our church here has Wonderful stories of restoration. Wonderful stories. Sarahville has these stories. It is a place of restoration, but just as Pastor Pat has said many times from this pulpit, we must do better at what, at what we do best. And so this is an area that we must grow in. We must always strive to expel the spirit of judgmentalism. When we allow that spirit to rise up within us and within our ranks, within our church, immediately the masks go on. Sin stays hidden, and it festers, and it grows. It cripples our spiritual growth. It cripples our relationships. Judgmentalism must be expelled from our church and from our lives. And Jesus has some very timely words for us this morning. Because in Jesus' day, he dealt with the same judgmental culture, the same judgmental spirit. As everything has changed, everything has remained the same. And so his words to us today are very timely, and they're timeless words, and it's found in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, so I just want to encourage you to open up to, to Matthew 7, chapter, Matthew chapter 7, and in verse 1, and Jesus says this, he starts right out, he just kind of drops the bomb, the big pill, he says, verse 1, judge not that you be not judged. Now, we got to understand the word judge here, because judge, the word judge 
is not in and of itself a naughty word, right? There is a right way and a wrong way to judge. What Jesus is talking about here, what he's going to help us to understand is what the wrong way is to judge. But there is a right way because judge in and of itself simply means to discern from what is right from what is wrong, the better and the best. And in that sense, I want people, I welcome people, and so should you welcome these people to come into our lives and judge us, to evaluate and say, hey, Lucas, uh, this isn't so good. Oh, thank you. You know, it's, it's these people that help us see our blind spots. And so in that sense, we should welcome that. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about what is so common to us, which is more part of our experience. It's the wrong way to judge. Because there is a right and a wrong way. And he starts to jump into this and, and expand on this in verse 2. In verse 2, he says this, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. And this is what I call the, the golden rule of judging. Judge others how you would like to be judged. Makes sense? But this verse is, I think, a little more intense than that because he's not in this verse referring to other people judging us. He is referring to God's judgment of us. And that's a little bit more intense and we need to understand a little bit about God's judgment of us to really fully understand what Jesus is trying to say here. So let me talk real briefly, a little parenthesis here, about God's judgment of us. There's really two different kind of judgments I want to talk about real briefly. The first one is the judgment of condemnation. Condemnation. This is the judgment where God condemns us for our sins. It is the judgment that Jesus came to rescue us from. It is the judgment that we do not want to be a part of. It is that judgment where God, in his righteous and holiness, he condemns us in our sins. He pours out his wrath on the sins of humanity. And that's the, the judgment that Jesus came to save us from. God sent Jesus, his son, to the earth to die for our sins, be raised from the dead, to rescue us from his own wrath. That, if you process through that, it's kind of strange, right? Because in essence, what I'm saying is God sent Jesus to save us from himself. And that sounds strange. A lot of people kind of balk at that, but that's, that's really what... The Bible teaches, and it's, it's not a foreign idea to us. Let me explain that real quick. It's not a foreign idea to us. And I've experienced this in my own life, just in the realm of, of, of uh, us, right? I, when I was in um, junior high, in high school, college, but we'll focus on junior high, uh, I was not necessarily the best student. I, I struggled, right? And there were... More than one occasion, there was more than one occasion where I would come to the end of the semester or the end of the year, and in a certain class, I was not getting a passing grade. And the teacher looks at my grade, and, and that, in fact, there's no assignments left or tests left, and, and she's like, Lucas, uh, you're going to fail. But my teacher, who was loving and gracious, and she didn't want to fail me. She had to fail I mean, she, she's in a situation where she would have to fail me, but she didn't want to fail me, so she would do something like this. Lucas, um, I'm going to give you some extra credit, an opportunity to do some extra credit. So, like, take this project home, take this book home, read it, do a report on it. If you turn the report in on Monday, I will give you just enough points to pass. I will not have to fail you. But if you don't 
do this, I'm going to have to fail you. And so I, obviously, I do the, the work necessary, and I turn it in, and she would rescue me from having to fail me. So in essence, the, the teacher is providing a way for me to escape her judgment of my failing grade. She gave me a way out. She was saving me from herself. Do you see that? That's what, that's what Jesus does. God, that's what Scripture tells us. I mean, hello, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. He doesn't want to condemn the world. He loves the world. And so what he, what's he do? He gave his only son. That, here's the condition, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's the way of escape. He's offering a way of escape. But listen, the very last verse, or almost the last verse in John 3, says this, but whoever, believe, or whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but look, the wrath of God remains on him. And so God says, look, my wrath is coming on the sins of the world. We are failing. We have a failing grade. We've broken God's law. His wrath of judgment is coming. But he says, look, I'm going to give you a way out. I'm sending my Son who's going to absorb my wrath on your behalf. He's going to die in your place and raise from the dead. If you believe in him, you will be rescued. This idea of belief is, is important because we, we live in a very Christian context. What I mean by that is, is people learn a lot about Jesus just growing up often. And speaking to people here at church, many of you grew up in church hearing a lot about Jesus and learning a lot about Jesus but it's not sufficient to learn about Jesus. To believe things about Jesus is not sufficient. Jesus tells us that there is a belief that's not sufficient to save us. Even Matthew chapter 7, he tells us that. Later on, verse 21, he says, Look, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, there's people who believe things about me, who call me Lord, but they're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Their, their belief is not sufficient. There is a belief that's not sufficient. And it's very easy to learn about Jesus, believe things about Jesus, but never believe in him. In a way that, that helps me, I think, clarify this a little bit, and it's not a perfect illustration. There are no perfect illustrations, I think, when it comes to spiritual realities, but I, I think about my relationship with my wife, Teresa. I met my wife, in high school. I was a senior, she was a junior, and we started dating. We dated for three years before we got married. One year into our relationship, I knew she was going to be my wife. I loved her. I loved her. And she loved me. And we, did, we had wonderful experience together as, as a couple and did all these things. And, and in my mind, I was like, man, she's going to be my wife. I love her like a wife. As best I knew at the time. But she wasn't my wife. She wasn't my wife until right here in this very room on August 10th, 1996. I put a ring on her finger. I looked into her eyes before God, and I said, I do. And in that moment of commitment, things changed. She, in that moment, became my wife, and I became her husband. And I think there's some parallels there between our relationship with Jesus. We can grow up learn about Jesus, have experiences within the body of Christ and experiences around Jesus, believing a lot of things about him, but there still needs to be that moment where we get it. You're like, I get it. Jesus died for my sins. And that moment when we say, I do. 
We become his follower. For some of us, that's all you need to hear today. That's where you, that's where you are. You need to not just believe about Jesus. You need to believe in Jesus. You need to have that moment, maybe today, when you say, I do. But for those of us who have made that commitment to Jesus, who are followers of Jesus, who do believe in him as Savior, we're, we don't escape judgment. Do you realize that? There is a judgment for us as well. It's not a judgment of condemnation. It's a judgment of commendation. There's going to come a day, and Scripture talks about this quite a bit, when we will stand before Jesus, the one who knows all our thoughts, all our deeds, everything we've done, who knows it all, and he will evaluate our life. When Paul talks about this judgment in 2 Corinthians 5, in the context, you see the word fear. It's a fearful thing. It is, people. I don't know about you, when I stand before the Lion of Judah, the King, all-powerful, and he begins to evaluate my life, I'm going to be a little nervous, right? And in that judgment, again, it's not a judgment of will you or won't you go to heaven. The people at that judgment who believe in Jesus, they are forgiven, but there's going to be a moment for some when Jesus will say something along the lines of, I don't know, I'm just guessing, Well done, good and faithful servant. Here is your reward. Go into the kingdom of heaven. And yet for others, there will be something potentially along the line of, I love you, you are forgiven, but you blew it. You blew it, all that I gave you, and you did nothing with it. All those opportunities, and you squandered them. You lived for things that don't last. I love you, you're forgiven, but shame on you. And Scripture even references that potentially there's going to be shame in that moment. Oh, my gosh. Now, with that reality and that understanding that judgment for us is coming, we need to now apply that idea into the text. Because what Jesus is saying here, Matthew chapter 7, verse 2, he's saying, look, the way that you want God to judge you is the way that you need, or I should say, the way that you want God to evaluate your life is the way that you need to evaluate and relate to the people around you. So let's think a second. How do I want Jesus to evaluate my my life? I want Jesus to be really gracious, really merciful, patient, compassionate, understanding, and loving. Oh man, please. And Jesus says, hey, if that's, if that's how you want the Lord to treat you, then that's how you got to treat others. So now when I look at other people, I, I need to have the same kind of grace and compassion and mercy and understanding and sympathy that I want Jesus to have when he evaluates my life. That's the right way to judge. That's how he desires us to interact, to evaluate, to interact with the people around us. But this isn't always easy, right? This doesn't come naturally to us. So how do we live that way? How do we expel the spirit of judgmentalism that so easily creeps up in our hearts and our lives? Jesus gives gives us an illustration here. Um, It's a really famous illustration. It's kind of a funny illustration. It's kind of outlandish, but it's good, obviously, and it's it shows us how ridiculous and, and hypocritical it is to be judgmental. 
and what we need to do in our lives to expel that judgmentalism, to cultivate the culture of grace and restoration in our midst, in our relationship, in our church. And the illustration is not difficult to understand, but there's a principle just a little bit under, under the surface I want to kind of bring to the forefront and, and kind of focus on. In verse 3, he says this. He starts the illustration. And it's kind of, funny, kind of a funny illustration, but here we go. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye? Hold on a second. Let's just think. Have you ever, you probably have, but have you ever had a speck of something in your eye? It could be like an eyelash. Those aren't always bad. Or maybe like a piece of dirt. I mean, there's moments when you get something in your eye, it is completely disorienting, disabilitating, disabilitating, is that a word? It just shuts you down, right? You're like, holy Toledo. I mean, I can't, there's moments where I, I can't even open my eye. It's like this water, and it's like, oh my gosh. This is a little speck. It's, it's, it's horrible. He says, look, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye? Now watch this. But you do not notice. Now that's a, that's a key little phrase there because it's, it's kind of funny if you kind of think about it. And you do not notice the log that's in your eye. Now the word log, I like to use the word plank. That's the way the NIV translates it. I like that better because it helps me create the image that I like in my head, because the word, the word there carries the eye, is, is, they use that word to describe a load-bearing piece of lumber in a building. So it's not like a little thing, it's a, it's a big chunk, it's like a two-by-six. I, I realize a two-by-six probably isn't load-bearing, but that's just the image I have in my, in my brain, right, in my head, is two-by-six. A big two-by-six, crunk, in your eye. Now, people, um, this is Peter Lannis. If you have a two by six wedged in your eye, you're probably dead, right? I don't, I don't think you live through that, right? Um, but that's, that's, that's the, the hyperbole here. That's, that's the image that Jesus brings out. He says, look, how, I mean, how, why are you concerned with the little thing in your brother's eye? And you, have this, you have this plank stuck in your face. And you don't even notice it. And he goes on in verse Four and five, he says, or how can you say to your brother, I mean, how can you even say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your eye? I mean, can you imagine that? Hey, 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 let me look, look at the speck. Oh, hang on, duck. And let me look at that. He says, it doesn't even make sense. How can you even say that? And then the beginning of verse five, he says this, you hypocrite. That's a heavy word, right? You hypocrite. We don't like that word. But this is a great definition of what a hypocrite is. A hypocrite is someone, is someone who sees and makes a big deal out of the specks in people's eyes when they are, because of their pride, completely oblivious to the glaring and obvious sins in their own lives. In people, every time we are judgmental and have those judgmental thoughts, we become hypocrites. Every time we compare ourselves, we're blinded by our pride. We don't see the glaring, we don't see the glaring sins in our own lives, and we become hypocrites. And we hate that word hypocrite. But I think it applies to us more often than we care to admit. So verse five, he says, "You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye." He says, so deal with that log. Acknowledge it, bring it out to the open, bring some people around maybe to help you, pray about it, work, they're holding you accountable, you work on that log, and finally one day, that log comes out, right? That's a humbling process. I mean, when you finally see those planks, and you start working on those logs in your eye, and you deal with it, it's a humbling 
It's a humbling experience. And when you have been humbled by that, he said, then, then you can clearly, then you can see clearly to take out the speck out of your brother's eye. So deal with our own sin. It humbles us. Then we can see clearly to deal, to help others. Now there's a principle here that I kind of want to focus on. I think it's really kind of important. And it's going to help us, I think, uh, expel judgmentalism, the sp- that spirit of judgmentalism from our, our lives and our relationships. And, and, and I call it the, uh, the plank eye principle. And uh, I know it's kind of cheesy and dumb, but you'll, you'll remember it, I think. And how, how I was kind of seeing this is, is when I was studying the passage, I was kind of envision, envisioning this moment, right? So, so here's Jesus. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus is on the Sermon on the Mount. He's teaching these people. And then let's say in the crowd, there's a guy named Jim, and there's a guy named John, and they're friends, Jim and John. And so Jim is sitting here listening to Jesus speak, and he hears this illustration, and it just, it just strikes a chord in him, and he's thinking, okay, so planks and specks, I, I, I have planks in my eye, planks in my eye. And John, he has specks in his eye. I, I got to see my planks, and, and, and I got to deal with these planks before I try to do anything with the specks that are in John's eye. So he's getting the message. And then all of a sudden, here's John at the very same moment. He's hearing the same message from Jesus. And what's the message to John from Jesus? John's like, okay, so, okay, Jesus. So I have planks in my eye. Planks. And Jim, he's, he has specks in his eye. And I, I got to see my planks more clearly than, than, than his specks. I got to deal with my planks before I even, you know, start working on his specks. And so I have planks in my eye. And Jim has specks. But hang on, man, I thought Jim had planks, and John had specks. But now you're telling me that, that John has planks, and Jim has specks. And the answer is yes. The principle of the plank eye is a principle, of, it's about our perception, our perspective. Both John and both Jim have planks in their eye. The idea is this, I need to see my sins in my life as planks, and I need to see your sins as specks. It's perspective. I need to have a much clearer perspective of my own sins. They need to seem like planks to me, and your sins need to seem like specks. When we freak out over the sins of other people, and we do at times freak out, In that moment, the reason we are freaking out is because their sins seem like planks to us while our sins seem like specks. When our sins seem like specks and others seem like planks, this is the way of the hypocrite. It's the path of judgmentalism. This is what will cultivate the culture of judgmentalism. It will cause people to put on the masks, to hide their sin behind the facade of, hey, everything's okay. And when we live in the world of everything's okay, Sin is hidden, and it festers, it destroys us, it cripples our spiritual life, it hinders our relationships. When we lack compassion, understanding, mercy, grace, and patience towards the sins of other, others, it's because we see our sins as specks, and we see their sins as planks. We might be saying, Lucas, I've been a follower of Jesus for 30 years. I had planks, I dealt with them, praise the Lord, and today I just have some specks. No, that's not how it works. Look, you see your plank in your eye. Awesome. You see it. You, you, you open it up. You're not hiding it. You bring some people around. You're praying about it. You're getting held accountable. You're working on this plank. And 
praise God, one day, through, through the power of the Spirit, you pull that plank out. Woo, victory, party, awesome, and lo and behold, vroom, there's one right behind it. Like, good night, I had no idea, I had two planks in my eye. Holy cow. And so, man, so you've learned your lesson, you're, you're confessing it, you're opening it up, you're not trying to hide it, you get some help, and praise the Lord through, through prayer, through, through help, through uh, all these kind of things. One day, through the power of the Spirit, you pull that plank out, and lo and behold, there's one more right behind it. It never ends. It never ends. And listen to me, if you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, I don't have planks, I have specks. You're deceived. You're absolutely, you're believing a lie. Or your understanding of the holiness of God is so skewed that you think that your little sins are not a big deal to him. They are. We are a plank-eyed people. Everyone else sees it. We need to see it. You need to see it. I need to see it. We have planks in our eyes. So the principle, the main thing, the plank eye principle is to say this. From my perspective, I have planks in my eyes and you have specks. Now, I just want to speak real briefly, real quickly to a couple different groups that are represented here as we make this practical, this plank eye principle. Wives, you have husbands that need to confess sin to you, but they're scared about how you will react So they're hiding their sin from you, and it's destroying them, and it's greatly crippling your relationship, and you may not even realize it. Wives, beg God to open your eyes to the planks that are in your life, in your own eye, that a culture of transparency, confession, mercy, and grace, and forgiveness can be cultivated in your marriage. Now, look, I'm not saying that when your husband or someone confesses a sin to you, a sin that they committed against you, I'm not saying it's going gonna, it's gonna to be okay, it's going to feel good, that this principle is going to take away the pain. It doesn't. It's devastating. But what this principle does is it will allow you to begin to take the first steps of restoration. If you are only able to see the planks in your husband's eye and your sins seem like specks, you will never make it down the road of restoration. You have to. The road is painful. It's hard. But it's always worth it. The road of restoration is always worth it. Husbands, you have wives that need to open up to you but they're scared because they have never, maybe they've never seen compassion, mercy, and grace in your life. They've seen pride and law. Beg God that he'll help you to see the planks in your eye that it'll humble you, that you'll begin to cultivate in your marriage grace and mercy and compassion, a relationship of restoration. Parents, you have children or may have children that need to confess sin to you. Not to the youth pastor, to you. But they're scared. Beg God to open your eyes, parents, to the planks in your eyes. That your planks will be planks. And your kids, you'll see them as just having specks. That you can cultivate a home of transparency. In confession, where there's grace 
in mercy, in restoration. That parents, that we can reflect to our children rightly the love of Christ. And finally, people of Sayreville. You have friends in your sphere of influence, maybe sitting right next to you, that are struggling. They're losing their fight with sin, and they need someone to open up to, to be transparent with. They need someone to verbalize their struggle to, to get their sin out of the darkness, out of secrecy, that they can deal with it and have victory over it. It's eating them up. We need to beg God that we can clearly see our own planks in our eyes, that we can be a people of humility and grace and mercy and compassion and forgiveness, that this church can be a church of restoration, a church filled with people more keenly aware of their own sins, that sees their own sins as planks more clearly than the specks in the eyes of others. So this message is pretty simple. God, I believe, is calling us to understand and to confess that we are plank eyes. That sounds silly. But it's an important confession. We're not speck eyes. We're plank eyes. And each of us need to make that that confession and, and acknowledge that, not just privately, but to those around us. There are people here who, potentially, who've never trusted in Jesus as their Savior. And maybe one of the reasons, maybe the main reason that they've never run to Jesus as Savior is because they've never realized that they need a Savior. They've never been able to see the planks in their own eyes. You have planks in your eye. My perspective, they look like like specks. But you have planks in your eye. You need Jesus. Run to him. Make that confession of that first step towards forgiveness is to understand that you need to be forgiven. Make the confession of the plank eye and run to Jesus. This confession humbles us as well. Helps us to open up about our sins and our struggles. To no longer hide them. To bring them out to the front. We need to do this. It's important for our own growth, our own spiritual development, for our relationships. By, by making that confession that I'm a plank guy, it will begin to form us into a, a community of gracious, merciful, and compassionate people. A church of restoration where people can take off their masks and be transparent and honest. So as we close, let me be, let me be the first today. My name is Lucas Bear. I'm a follower of Jesus, and I'm a plank eye. Let's pray. Father, we, we are a self-righteous people. We don't like to admit it. That's part of being self-righteous, I guess. In each and every one of us in here, regardless of age, or place that they are in their life, we are all battling sins, and sometimes we don't even see it we see our sins as small or no big deal. We don't even realize it. We don't even acknowledge it. It doesn't bother us. We go through our life with planks in our eyes, and sometimes we, they don't even bother us. We've grown so accustomed to them, or we've defended them or explained them away. Father, I know. 
there are people here who are just dying. They are struggling. They are battling hidden sins, and they're scared. Father, help us to understand that we are plain guys. And Lord, help us to cultivate that culture of transparency and openness and compassion and restoration in our church and in our homes and in our relationships, that our marriages can flourish, that our, our relationships and families can flourish, our church can flourish. But Lord, it, it begins with this, this confession, acknowledging that we are a plank eye people. So Lord, I pray that you would just generate the courage and the humility in our midst that people would, would leave here, go home and sit down with somebody, with their, their, their spouse, their family, their friends, their sugup leader with somebody and say, look, I've got some planks in my eye. I just need to, I just can't hide it anymore. And help us be a people that see our planks more clearly than the specks in the eyes of others. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.